Hey folks, thanks for joining me for this episode of the Embellish Podcast, a podcast focused on product stories, product storytellers, interesting brand ambassadors, and anything else that we happen to come up with. Whether you're a bourbon fan, a geek, a casual observer, or someone just floating through this channel, hope you find it interesting. If you got here by chance, please take a moment to hit the subscribe button. Hopefully I can be found on any podcasting platform that exists, and if you can't find me on a platform, send me an email at embellishpod at gmail.com and I'll get that taken care of. I also generally live stream the recording of these episodes on YouTube. Um, you can find all of my links on Instagram at embellishpod or Twitter with the same handle. I have a website. It is www.embellishpod.com. It's a place to pick up these links, episode details, and more. Today is January the 18th, and we're going to be talking with um, a couple of different people. Uh, we're going to be talking with Jason from Old 55, and then we're going to be also talking with um, Will and Brad from Bex Hybrids and, and kind of how they're working together. So we'll start with Jason. Um, and we'll let him kind of introduce himself and, and you know, what he represents. Then we'll kind of run around to um, both of you guys from Bex. And it looks like Brad is joining us, so I'll get him in here, and he uh, will be in whenever he gets in. Um, but, Jason, go ahead and give us kind of a, in, the, the, the elevator speech on who you are and what you do. Absolutely. So my name is Jason Fruits. I'm the uh, owner and distiller at Old 55 Distillery, uh, chief toilet cleaner and everything else above. So uh, we are a true uh, family operation, man, me and my siblings and my parents. So pretty darn cool. Um, so we do uh, farm to bottle bourbon in Newtown, Indiana, which is West Central Indiana, about 30 minutes from Purdue's campus. Um, predominantly, I mean, 99% of our production is bourbon and will will be as long as I can keep it that way. So I'm, I'm uh, standing strong on that front. So, um, but we, um, yeah, uh, trying to think what else uh that's 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 good for me okay will if you go ahead and uh, just kind of give us who you are and then we'll we'll figure out what the connection between the two of you guys are next sounds good <clears throat> so my name is will hirschfeld i'm a project manager at bex hybrids on the innovation team so um, innovation team is kind of a skunk works team a um, little bit of a black ops of bex hybrids we get uh, mixed up in a lot of different special projects um, kind of have that freedom to operate and kind of chase the rabbits down the rabbit holes. So um, I started at Bex um, when I graduated from Purdue University in 2009, um, worked kind of in the research side of the business. So worked more closely with corn breeders and scientists that were, um, you know, trying to figure out how to um, create hybrids that are, you know, making sure that farmers are getting top yields and getting the performance they need out of their products. So um, kind of like Jason, Bex is a you know, family owned and operated business. Um, we're the, the largest um, independent seed company here in, in North America, sell primarily corn, soybeans and wheat um, based out of Indiana, but uh, sell kind of through the I states and then all the way throughout the Midwest. So we've been growing a lot um, over the past, you know, we were founded in 1937. So, but the last 20 years have been a pretty wild ride for us. All right, and, and Brad, uh, there you are. There's Brad hopping there on. And, um, just as soon as this camera comes on, we're like, all right, now it's your turn to give us the you know elevator pitch of who Brad is, um, and then we'll try to draw the lines between Bex and, and, and Old 55. Yeah, hey, guys, my name's Brad Firth. Uh, thank you for the opportunity to chat with you, John. Um, I currently serve as the Director of Innovation at Bex Diverge, which is a fancy word for saying I'm the corporate scapegoat when crap goes wrong. <laughs> but uh, I've worked at Bex here for uh, about 18 years now, have a background in IT, and about three years ago, uh, Will and I were asked to start the innovation team. And so, as Will said, we get to kind of look at new and exciting things coming to the industry, and uh, we're super excited to uh, 
partner with Jason on this on this uh, project at Old Fifty Five. All right, so that, that's a perfect way to tee it up. All right, so so what is this project, right? Because it, it's you know I've, I've I've watched and 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 I've watched a lot of uh, po- listen to a lot of podcasts, watch a lot of episodes, and there's a lot of distillers out there that are kind of championing this idea of um, kind of finding your own grain, so to speak. Um, but a lot of them are coming from a land race perspective where they're taking you know maybe heirloom um, varieties and trying to kind of create their own identity. I assume this is in that vein, but maybe with a modern technological spin, but I'll let you guys kind of um, expand on it there. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so, I mean, we kind of do some weird stuff anyway, being all farm to bottle and, and a lot of people don't understand until uh, in the in the distilling space, we are kind of a uh, just complete, we're completely unique in that we are absolutely vertically integrated. So my family actually owns grain elevators and then we have uh, farm ground as a side effect of that. And then um, if you would have told me in my early, you know, late teens, early twenties that I'd be back in Newtown making bourbon, I would have punched you in the mouth. So it was never, ever going to happen. But my uh, dad is an evil genius who doesn't drink. He's never had a sip of beer or liquor in his life. And he has weaseled me and all my siblings back to Newtown and we're all working for him in one capacity or another. And it's, it's pretty darn awesome. So, um, so to be able to control that from literally, you know, farm, harvest, elevator, distillery, it's just um, absolutely incredible. So we always wanted to do interesting stuff i mean we, we make the world's only 100 percent sweet corn bourbon we're the only ttb approved to do that um uh with our back labels and etc um and you know with that uh, i mean we're gosh i always i always tell this especially when i'm whenever i'm talking with these guys and telling the story about like what's going on with bex is if you would have told me once again that i'd be watching the um chicago board of trade and the weather channel all day and slowly slowly turning into my father as as i do which is not a bad thing my dad is basically jesus he's the greatest dude on the planet so um that's not a bad thing it's just i'm like what 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 happened like man it, it's it's all turned around so um so part of that was as we as we got into it you know you know i think and and, and i'll let um you know will and brad talk to this as well because i think their perspective is interesting because they have projects with other big distilleries, medium distilleries, you know, smaller guys like us. Um, you know, there's just not a lot of people in our space. I mean, I can think of a handful literally that um, actually know agriculture. Does that make sense? Like they just don't, they, it's just not something that they do. So, um, and that's really all we do. I mean, that's our competitive advantage is what I tell people all the time. Like, this is, uh, I, I hope there's a little cursing because I have a terrible potty mouth, so I'll tell you. But I say this all the time. I'm the world's biggest spoiled asshole, and I fell into this. I have the I have the greatest parents and the greatest, you know, sets of grandparents that put me in a place to be able to, you know, have all these other master distillers around the country and, and just people I look up to just look at me and be like, you literally, I mean, I have a mate. I have the best farm ground. We have, you know, I am completely vertically integrated. I answer to no one but my dad, and it, it's it's pretty darn cool. So to that, kind of led us to, um, you know, to Beck. So uh, we have, uh, my grandma actually calls it the funny farm. We have about 184 acres tillable that is just like a, I mean, in agricultural terms today, that's that's basically next to nothing. And, it's, and we use that basically just to tool around with for the distillery. And it's, it's plenty. We, we split crop it and flip it back and forth every year between beans and corn. Uh, traditionally we were, uh, we were planting uh, pioneer because we have all these relationships, right. With these local farmers that we, we've had related. So 
uh, this year will be 55, 2023. So this will be 55 years that uh, Newtown Farm Service, the family business has been around. My grandpa started in 68, pretty darn cool. And um, uh, so we have these relationships. So we always traditionally planted Pioneer corn and uh, Beck's soybeans, because those were the two families that we bought them from. It was nothing, I mean, there was just, I mean, both great products. We just worked it out. And this past year, so 2022 was the first year that we did, we flipped that. So we did uh, Pioneer beans and um, Beck's corn, and that's where these guys come in. And it was, it was, a, it was a cool summer, man. It was neat to kind of put stuff out and they, they just, they just have so much I mean, technology and access to cool stuff, and I can tell them what I want. And like, it's all, I mean, I'm, I'm that these guys know, and I like, I'm a huge nerd at heart, which actually kind of brings us how we all got together. So, I believe, Brad, you went to Purdue, right? Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. what I thought. We're, we're yeah. all Purdue grads. So, yep. uh, um, so, um, you know, it's that the Purdue University in West Lafayette, Indiana is really kind of the um, that's kind of the nexus of where we all met each other. So um, Greg at the uh, Research Foundation kind of put us together and then the, the, you know, the finger tapping and the here, I'll do it for you, the finger tapping and kind of the evil scientist stuff took over from there. because So we had some plans and some pretty neat stuff. So that's kind of where it left with us. And I'll let I'll let the boys from Bex kind of tell their perspective. So. Yeah, I think just to piggyback on what Jason said, you know, we had a mutual friend that kind of introduced us, uh, you know, as Jason said, we've uh, done a couple other project with a couple other distillers. And what we found is that most distilleries are really good di distilleries and they're horrible farmers. And so most of them are just buying a number two yellow dent blend uh, and not understanding what's coming into that bag. And so we've done a number of projects where um, you know, we can go to a distiller and say, hey, we'd like to help you with your grain quality. Most of them don't understand what that means. And, you know, uh, uh, you know, we have been to a couple of facilities where you open up super sacks and there's weevils in the top and you're like, man, this is not good stuff. So, uh, you know, we have done a number of these projects where we've just approached some distilleries and said, hey, we would love to help you uh, kind of shore up your supply chain. I mean, Jason's definitely a unicorn and that he's vertically integrated. Most distilleries are not. So, most of the time we can go and we can talk about hybrid selection. Uh, and uh, I mean, uh, most of the, most of the time, what we found is that if, if, um, if distillers stick to a single hybrid that can greatly increase their quality, it, it um, you can't actually influence flavor with it, but you can greatly change the alcohol yield. I mean, guys like Jason can probably taste that, but your average drinker is not going to, is not going to tell. So we got introduced to Jason and we approached him and said, hey, we would love to do some work with you. Jason had a theory actually right off the bat where he's like, hey, I'm looking for some super high test weight corn. And we're like, okay, well, we'll go back and see if we can find something. So we worked with our uh, processing team and found him like the highest density test weight corn we could find. We literally brought it in a box in the back of a truck and we're like, hey, have fun. So uh, it was amazing, by fun. the way. What was, yeah. what was the highest stuff? It was uh, uh, almost 65 pound test weight, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. It was like popcorn and like my hammer mill sounded like it was going to fall off the rails. You know, it was awesome. So, yeah. Yeah. yeah so that's where um, we kind of started the conversation. And then with Jason, it, it was, hey, what if we gave you three or four different hybrids? And we kept kind of testing out this theory of, hey, I might not, you know, I'm not going to change your taste profile. But let's play around and see what hybrid characteristics might 
uh, might affect your uh, alcohol yield. So, you know, Jason's just a couple hours down the road. He's vertically integrated. Uh, you know, he was already a customer. And so it just it 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 made great sense to uh, partner up on this. Yeah. And, and it, I mean, it absolutely sounds like that because, you know, you have the unique ability to control a whole lot of variables uh, because, because of the vertical integration that he has. Um, you know, if you want to test something out as, as, a, as a Bex company and kind of how you partner with distilleries, um, kind of, kind of dropping into somebody who does high volume and you may get your hybrid mixed in with somebody else's corn and uh, you got a super, super high control over, um, the value. And so when you say increasing the quality, we're really talking about alcohol conversion or, or are we also talking about fr flavor? Cause so you guys may be on alcohol conversion is, is uh, Jason, are you looking for flavor? Are you looking for both or like, how does that work out for, for the so, two of y'all? So quality is both. Does that make sense? Yep. So it's, um, more, you know, more starch is going to be more alcohol, which is always good. I always, I try to explain this to people. Um, some people would immediately think because we take in a, like an infinitesimally small super heart cut it's what sets our spirits apart from everybody else's it's why we've won all the awards lately and we're kind of the bell of the ball um uh the only reason i can afford to do that is because i'm vertically integrated right so everybody would love to take those cuts but i throw about three-fourths of everything i make away basically it's waste to me you know so mm -hmm. if i can make that small cut as big as possible that's a huge deal does that make sense and yep. i have the ability to do that because i have some of the best farm ground on planet earth and I have these guys to bring me the best technology, you know, I mean, to be able to bring those test weights and the things that we think really affect at the end. And at the end of the day, if you have, I mean, good corn makes, makes good bourbon, you know, I mean, that's all there is to it. So a uh, perfect example of that is, you know, two years, we, we sold a ton of corn um, and due to NDAs, I can't tell you to who, but it all went to Bardstown. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like, and my family has shipped corn to Kentucky for uh, bourbon production for 47 years now. You know what I mean? So uh, they come to us when they want quality. And like it, the, the reason two years ago was probably the most we've done in like 10, 12 years is because there was drought conditions all over Kentucky and Southern Ohio, which is where most of those contracts for corn are coming. And the corn was garbage. You know what I mean? That's not their fault. There's nothing they can do, but they can't. All of those big companies can't make good bourbon if all of their corn is, you know, 100, right. 100 bushel corn at, you know, you know, 42 pounds. You know, I mean, that's kind of they're going to they're going to struggle. You know, I mean, the distiller is, uh, you know, the belt gets a little tight when you're trying to make, you know, and, and, and it will flip, like bad corn will affect, you know, I mean, and there's there's spoilage. You have all these issues, you know, what I mean, so just mm -hmm. good that that affects flavor does that make sense so um, yeah well so and, and, and that, that that was kind of what i was driving into is that you could say we want to increase quality it could meet one or the or the other or both i want to kind of make sure we're all speaking the same language and i think you said earlier um you guys are farming 180 ish acres to to generate corn here um and i assume that, that the targeting of the hybrids is for both increased test weight and increased yield um, and some of that may be foreign to some of the people that watch this, right? So, you know, you've got some, you've got four people here that so, to some varying degrees have understanding of the farming process in North America. So maybe we, we back up just a little bit. Like, what does test weight that. mean and why is that important? And then well, what that's is probably the one that, that yeah, right. absolutely. So, so yeah. these guys from Bex can, uh, could talk to us at nauseum. I will, I will give it in layman's terms to everybody. So, uh, so farmers want bushels which is basically bushels per acre okay and that is uh because they get paid 
for bushels. Okay. And bushels are good. Uh, and a family elevator, I want bushels as well, right? Cause I want to fill my bins and then I want to sell those when demand is high and uh, supply is low, right? That's how my funny, my, my family makes most of our money. Um, to me as a distiller though, I have found that test weight, which is not as important to, I mean, they, they need, they want good test weight, but most, I mean, gosh, most of the guys my age today, which I, I jokingly, they'll watch this too, and they're all going to be mad. I'll get crap next week when they watch this, but I joke, they're not real farmers. Like they have like a case of bush light under them while the tractor drives itself and they drink beer and call me on their cell phone while they're yep. Snapchatting yep. their wife. You know what I mean? Like, I don't, my like, guys, like, this is not work. Like you're, you know, this is ridiculous, but they're, the technology today is insane, but they will, I, I will run into some of those guys. Well, they're, they're like test weight. Like, what do you care about? I'm like, guys, that's starch. Like I need to c- convert that starch to sugar so I can make, you know, to introduce those yeast and make alcohol out of it. And then that makes sense to them. So it's, it's just kind of uh you know what I want to say, like there, there is definitely a line that that goes over, but there is, um, you know, that's what we're looking for. And these guys help me be able to do that. So I hope I did a good job of explaining that. Yeah. And I would, I, I would just say one of the things that we've really enjoyed on this project, John, is that, you know, Jason's got his finger on that still the entire time. So like you can send corn to a lab and they can give you information, but the information mm-hmm. that we've been getting back from Jason is equally as important anecdotal. And so when you got a, a guy that's got his finger on the still the entire time, uh, you know, there's there's some feedback that he gave us of this worked bad. I didn't like this. I, I want more of this. And so, uh, you know, lab data is good. But when you're dealing with select high end distillers, you know, um, that anecdotal information can be very, very helpful. And, and and I I can only imagine you know, like this is giving you the ability. So this is this is maybe for 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 Will and, and Brad here is that um, you're getting the ability to do some some testing here to understand like how your hybrids are performing in alcohol conversion, which could be really really important. The more people that are making whiskey, there's more corn consumed. But beyond that, there's also the the entire ethanol market where people are making fuel, and you're still looking for alcohol conversion there. Um, is this helping you because y'all are in the business of selling seeds is this helping you be able to kind of go to market with these farmers and say hey if you're trying to sell for ethanol or sell for for whiskey we've got something for you is that is that kind of part of the impetus for y'all yeah i don't think the ethanol market has really dialed in on that to be honest john they're just in the business of putting bushels you know they're just throwing stuff down range um you know anytime you're looking at really starting to corner a market you want to go to the high-end market first honestly and then that works its way down through the supply chain so i'm not going to tell you that it, it's not going to happen one day but we don't have ethanol plants yet that are getting specific on grain characteristics like 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 what jason does so uh we've really started there the the other part of kind of some work we've done with other distillers is where they need to collapse their supply chain so most of them don't even know who to call if they're like, hey, who's a farmer that can do like, let's just say, you know, 100 acres of non-GMO, you know, what what we would call identity preserved or IP grain. Like that's mm-hmm. something that Jason and his family knows. Not every distiller knows how to do that. So we've seen more uptick in that kind of discussion uh, than 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 we have with um, maybe the ethanol market so the data is good it's just that the ethanol market's not paying for that quality yet so farmers aren't really uh, adopting that yet yeah okay so i guess maybe that brings the the question right so you've you've tested out i assume jason you've tested out some some hybrids and you've gotten some some corn off the field now 
Um, what what does your yield look like? Is this a same as everywhere? Because you were talking about test weight. Are you getting higher yields, but but or same yields but higher test weight? Or um, okay, how how is that performing out for you? So as a distiller, to be able to sit down with these guys and nerd out and tell them mm-hmm. what I'm looking for, you know what I mean, and then be like, oh, here's uh, so we're gonna plant, you know six hybrids and we're going to do a non-gmo variety to get to check it out because like brad brought that up and i think it's a huge part like you know um you know for us to go uh plant organic organic grains and not really farm them organically so we can't put an organic claim on them but we can still run non-gmo um if we you know um historically if that corn doesn't produce what you know you know the big boy the biggest best numbers at the at the you know that these guys want to sell me bags of seed for don't perform there i'm going to go buy those i don't care you know what i mean but to have mm-hmm. these guys on the back end be able to come in and and steer me in the right direction and i know that i have that support you know what i mean of like well we had this issue and they're like okay well we thought maybe that would happen so next year we need to try this like that's huge it lets me take more risk which i love to do you know what i mean because mm-hmm. then we get to down the line like i know that i'm gonna have the support next year to to, to do it because i once again i have to you know this is uh i'm not a farmer you know what i mean like i, I mm-hmm. i'm i definitely have my you know my feet are dirty and i ride in the combine but like you know the um like this is family ground that is custom cropped for us you know what i mean and uh the myers is gene and his boys like thank god we have great people to help us you know put it in the ground and do everything and the team at bex just makes it easy it's awesome so both now now brad has mentioned it and 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 jason you've mentioned it as well so you open the door i'm gonna ask the question right so um does it matter if you're using GMO or non-GMO corn in this conversation? Like, it, th- is there an impact? Like, does it matter? Right? B- beyond a, a marketing statement or whatever else, is there a the, legitimate the use Im- for this? The, the impact is, and, and I, I, w- I want to hear like Will and Brad talk from their side, but from my side, what it is, is um, besides mar- like, okay, so from a consumer perspective, no. Does that make sense? from a distiller's pricing um grain raising the grain that's what's important does that make sense so i actually we raise the corn i need good corn you know what i mean so if non-gmo doesn't make as good as the greatest hybrid in the world like you know i well i mean we get in this talk all the time i'll give my example we went to a whiskey fest in chicago right before covid and there's this uh mm-hmm you know, 50 year old lady with a Pomeranian in her, you know, Louis Vuitton purse. Okay. And she's like, is any of this organic? And I was like, well, I mean, technically are we, every year we rotate our sweet corn, which is an organic sweet corn. Mm -hmm. And, and we could get an organic, I mean, it's, it's been grown for, oh gosh, this is going to be, this is the 12th year, this April, when we put it in the ground, will be the 12th year in a row. We've grown that, that corn on those plots. So it meets all the requirements to be organic. We don't spray it. We don't do any of that stuff. You can't do any of that stuff. So, so, um, and she's like, but I don't understand. I was like, well, I don't think you understand what a, what a, what GMO means. That's a genetically modified organism. She's like, well, I don't understand why you would like that. I was like, because it makes the best whiskey. You know, mm-hmm. so I want the best corn and GMO products gives me the best corn. She's like, well, I don't. I said, once again, I don't think you understand, ma'am, like what a GMO is. And I pointed out her Pomeranian. I said, that's a genetically modified organism. That 500 
to a thousand years ago was a wolf, and now it's that. And we don't know right. what it does, but we have done the same thing to corn. We've done the same thing to soybeans. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, this is this is what yeah. it is. And you should have seen her. And then, like everybody was like, "Oh," I'm like, "This is you know, there's not some evil." doctor in a lab using CRISPR, you know, there actually are, there, 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 there are evil people at that. That's, I'm totally kidding. They have CRISPR and they do cool <laughs> stuff, but, but that, none of that is all the genetics that we're using are not right. like, that's not what we're doing to this day. You you're know not buying I mean? the that's, evil corn. Other, other people are yeah, buying the evil corn, but yeah, you're not buying Yes, exactly. No, no, there is no evil corn. It's all good. This is, we feed the world with this corn. You know what I mean? Like right. we, we make the best bourbon with this corn. Like it, it is, um, mm-hmm. we have no issues with and we have every drop of bourbon that i've made before this year was made with you know yellow number two you know hybrid gmo genetically modified roundup ready corn period uh and there's nothing wrong with it and we'll continue to do that but what's neat is now we can do kind of a side project where we do two or three years and if i can get you know like this year we were within we were within two percent with non-gmo you know what mm-hmm. I mean? And I have no tech fees. I have no, and now we're really getting off into the, to the weeds here, but this is kind of the nerdiness of it for, that's, that's so absolutely I have, we're here for. Yeah. Yeah. So I have, I have none of that. And, and, you know, Brad and Will don't have any of that. So we can really kind of go cool down that line. And if it can stay within five, I don't know where my breaking point is. You really, I don't know, maybe 10%, mm-hmm. like, why would I not, you know, that's just kind of neat. So it's something that we're, we're experimenting with and, and messing around with. And I think it's, uh, I think it's very cool. So. Jason, I think it's, it's different for everyone. I mean, you've kind of already said it, you've got, um, you know, a small farm, you're on great ground. Um, you've got good cooperators that can help you with stuff. Um, you don't have, um, you know, a lot of the GMO technologies that farmers are buying are protecting their crop from insects above or below the ground that are feeding on the roots or feeding on the air or protect that plant from a, a herbicide to control weeds. So, um, you know, there's, there's areas where, um, if you don't have those biotech traits that protect your, your plant from insect feeding, you're going to be out there, um, spraying all, all sorts of chemicals, um, to prevent that crop from that, that insect damage. Um, and con- conversely, if you have weed issues, you're going to be out there doing, um, tillage. So, um, there's a lot of talk around sustainability and conservation and um, no-till has kind of, you know, gotten, you know, brought back to life. I mean, it's a practice we've been doing for 30 or 40 years, but um, with no-till farming, um, that's, um, you don't disturb the soil as often, you know, trying to prevent um, weeds for overtaking your field. But the, the technologies that enable that are these GMO technologies that allow you to um, spray without breaking the soil. And, um, you know, keeping that, that field, um, I'd say economically sustainable and environmentally sustainable. Which makes the best corn, which makes the best whiskey period. You know what I mean? So, yeah. yeah and so it was, it's kind of like, it's kind of like John, the story I told at the beginning, we were at a small distillery that bragged to us about their non GMO corn that they were paying, you know, double commodity price on. And there were weevils in it, which weevil is an insect. So, there were live insects and they were putting that through their hammer mill and through their distillery. So, you know, that's where um, there's a lot of misinformation out there uh, around that topic. I mean, the live insects are just added protein for the fermentation process. That's all that's really there for, right? That, that will change a little flavor. You'll get a nice little kick at the end there. You know what I mean? So, yeah. Give, give you some, a little some meatiness to the flavor, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, 
so I assume like you, so you've pulled your, your first crop off, uh, using, using some of these Vex, uh, seeds here. Have you been able to distill it and see your percentage cover or percentage gain or loss or, or kind of see what comes off? I, I think maybe you said that already, but I want to double back on it. Yeah, absolutely. All of it's in the barrel already. It's uh, it's super cool. So we're, um, you know, with me taking those absolutely small cuts, I'm, you know, I mean, uh, I'm, I can't give, I can't get into the weeds too much. You know, what I mean, as far as like not not because I can't disclose it, but what I mean by that is like, you know, we can't get to the nitty gritty because like my cut is so small that like we're I'm not expand like an ethanol plant. Like I always say this, like if we took that corn to an ethanol plant. Those guys would tell you, you know, I mean, we, and we have automation on our still, I could do that. I'm just taking such a small cut that I'm trying to give as much data to the boys as I possibly can. But I'm, I'm almost the, I always tell them like, I'm the, like the worst person to come to because like that cut is so small, you know what I mean? But they, they don't think so. Thank God. But, uh, we, you know, the part of that is, is we are seeing like the differences in like the, the corn itself and just like, you know, processing, like color, all kinds of things, you know what I mean? Like we're, we're looking at all these the uh this quality across the board and then the real answer is going to be to be honest in four to six years when all that comes out of barrels and we're like well let's try this you know what i mean and and it'll be interesting to see you know what what we get there so yeah yeah and john i would just say you know in 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 this day and age of you know of uh getting something from amazon in one hour you know we're dealing with a biological plant and 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 we're dealing with an aging process that's that's four years so that's the frustrating part about this, you know, is that this innovation takes time just because we're dealing with the aging process. And so, you know, we try a couple things, put it in a burrow and you hope in four years that you got something coming out. Go ahead. Not to mention it takes about seven to 10 years to make those hybrids that, that uh, Jason's testing. Seven yeah. to well, 10 years to make I, the hybrids, uh, a year to farm it. And then, minimum of four years to age it so we can bond it you know i mean it's 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 a process so this is a place where i think farmers and and people that work in ag are uniquely suited for the maturation process of whiskey because if you're developing a seed or you're developing a chemical that's a multi-year process if you're farming you put something in the ground and in the same way that a barrel matures you put something in the ground you hope to hell that everything goes right and at the end of the year you could pull something off the field in the same way that you put something in a barrel and you hope to hell in four or five years, you have something that tastes good and you never know what's going to happen. So um, you, you said you've already got, do you have a barrel? Or you'd have multiple barrels put back, Jason. Oh, wait, the, there's, oh gosh, what a, between all those batches. So there's like 25, 20, 28 barrels down or something as what of, of just Beck stuff. So pure. And I did, uh, so we actually made like our, uh, we basically made our weeded bourbon with that, and then I did the individual hybrids. So, you know, I mean, between each one so we can actually – so that'll be cool. The guys know that. So it'll be neat to be able to, like – and to be honest, like – so getting to your question of what I don't think, and maybe I'll be totally wrong, which I won't be, but um, it they'll be very similar. Does that make sense? Like, I mean, and batches uh, change. Like, corn, as it changes, changes flavor. I don't want to say that. You know what I mean? But those will be – 99% the same, but the cool thing is, and what old 55 distillery does and what my family does is I can tell you, like, you know, I know what went into that barrel, the hybrid, you know what I mean? Like, which is, I think mm-hmm. is cool for like, you know, I mean, I think it's the neatest thing that we do. So we single barrel everything. So, uh, 
any bottle of Old 55, you can trace that bottle to a barrel, to the same distiller, to the same family, to the same family farm, and now to mm-hmm. the same hybrid. You know what I mean? Like, how cool is that? You know what I mean? So kudos to Bex for letting me do that. Yeah, I'm just thinking, like, you know, Will and Brad are going to want to probably be at the uh, in four or five years at the National Farm Machinery Show holding bottles of here's Beck's corn, right? Like, this is what this is, this is your booth swag. I mean, you, you'll, you'll make a splash there for sure. Um, what, what size can, barrels are you we, using, Jason? We yeah. use 30 gallon barrels and we age them all underground. We're the only North American distillery and the only bourbon producer that ages all their bourbon underground in a basement. So, that the 30 gallon barrel is, is a a byproduct of that process of trying to. So the basement slows my aging down because I just don't have that big temperature disparity of hot to cold. Mm -hmm. And then, so we use the 30 gallon barrel proprietarily to, so this is how I explain this. Like, Oh, time is time in a barrel. Does that make sense? Like there, it, all it is is physics. So there's more surface area. So it's imparting flavor faster, which is actually, I think can be, and I always hate like the term craft or craft distillery or craft bourbon, but like a lot of these craft guys, I think get in trouble because they have over oaked spirits. Does that make sense? And like, so that was yeah. always a huge issue of mine. So we've, um, we have found a niche and this very unique ability to make, put the best spirit in these 30 gallon barrels in this basement. And if we wait about four and a half years, you know, I can win double golds and best whiskeys in the, on the planet, which is pretty crazy. So, so you, that's a big ass basement, right? Like I, this is what I, this, it is. this is what I'm imagining. It's, 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 you, it's a pretty big basement. I mean, we're out of, um, I tell people, you know, the first, what was it? Uh, the first seven and a half years, I put everything on the floor on pallets. Um, mm-hmm. and I'm out of floor space. Everything's going up in the air because we're, well, we've, we've doubled production this year. I'm basically sold out till 2026. I don't have a barrel. It's all allocated. So, uh, I'm, we luckily, um, especially with the still and, uh, that we started with, I have an enormous amount of capacity to go. I mean, I'm the only distiller. I probably need like five more, but I'm mm-hmm. anal retentive and like to control everything. By the way, also you said earlier, you know, I loved your comment about, uh, you know, farmers being uniquely um, um, positioned to be patient for like the process of bourbon. Did mm-hmm. I mention to you that like, I'm not a farmer and like, I'm the least patient person in the world. How I got <laughs> into this business is hilarious, but it is, uh, it's funny. Yeah, so you, you're just approaching it from the other side, but you know, for 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 Will and Brad, I assume they're going to be showing up on the farm at least once a year to to taste through the barrels. You got to see how it's aging over time, right? Like this is a, oh, yeah. this is a once a year, we got to taste this again, right? Yeah, that the funny thing is those barrels slowly disappear because they're like, oh, that's good. Let's let's get you know you know. So yeah, no, they'll be I'll be you know whipping them at the no leave it alone four years we'll get it come on wait you gotta wait for the good you know you're not even allowed to put a drill to it and get you a couple ounces out of it uh, we'll probably we'll, we'll get some out as straight in two years you know what i mean just to mm-hmm. see but it, like i said it's going to be close to what we already mm-hmm. are doing you know what i mean and uh um it, it'll just be unique in that it's that first stuff that's coming uh, that's that's of those specific hy- hybrids that'll be to me anyway it would be interesting to get those early samples does that make sense off those different sets of hybrids 
and see if we have any disparity across the the board. And mm-hmm. you know, to to go back to the to the timing thing, like I laugh, like I I literally am the least. A patient person in the world, but I, it, it converts you completely. I did come at this from a business perspective and I always love to tell a story. It was literally like six months ago. My oldest Owen was with me. We were, we were barreling and uh, he thinks he's just the coolest kid in the world. Cause he's the only one that has the Wi-Fi password on the production mm-hmm. floor. Mm-hmm. So he uh, FaceTimes his mom and calls my wife and he she's he's like mom we're almost done we're just putting these barrels in and i didn't even think what i was saying i just i looked and i said oh and when those come he just turned 12 like a month ago i said dude when you when those come out of the barrel you have your driver's license and i just did i said it not even thinking what i was doing my wife just is like screaming at me on the other aisle. i'm like why would you say that that's horrible you know because they moms always don't they don't want them to get any bigger and i was like i didn't think yeah. i was like that's weird like we're literally putting this in a barrel together mm-hmm. and the next time we see it you're going to be driving around, which is, and it, that doesn't affect me. Like I literally think in those terms every day, like, and mm-hmm. I don't know, I guess, I guess the moral of the story is we all grow up one day, right? It's, it's there's right. hope for everybody, right? You, you can't <laughs> stop time. You either just accept yeah. it or try to fight it or whatever. <laughs> exactly. What, what kind of loss do you expect over that four year time frame? So we lose, we lose about dead on, uh, in the basement lot, uh, like the Kentucky average. Does that make sense? Our mm-hmm. angel share and devil's cut is almost dead on, which I, I thought was surprising. I thought we'd lose less. Right. You know, so right. yeah, I overproof, yeah, then... uh, but to, here's something that's interesting in that basement from about, uh, two years to about three and a half years, just under four years. Um, almost 99% of our barrels are overproofed in that basement shit doesn't make any sense like they're not seeing huge temperature disparities but it's very um it's very damp there's a lot of moisture in the air and when we open like the walkout basement door like anytime i move air through there like we'll see huge you know what i mean like i'll see huge disparities from taking them from the basement up to the production floor in the summer like i can overproof four or five points in in hours you know what i mean it's it's just interesting it's fun fun to kind of mess with yeah, Jason, so you're, you're building there. It used to be a, a school or a gymnasium. Yeah. So it's an old township school. My mom actually went to um, school in that building till she was in the sixth grade, and then they consolidated to Fount Central, which is where I went to high school at. And um, my mom was the PE teacher there for 33 years. And then in 2009, um, when well, farming. Uh, um the the financial collapse everything copper was out of control uh, a local guy um basically scrapped the uh schoolhouse and it was already kind of the armpit of newtown and then it kind of be- just became like the butt crack of newtown so my dad once again being jesus and the town board president was like oh i guess i'll clean it up so uh mm-hmm. so 2009 the summer of 2009 we renovated that building absolutely no intentions to do a uh, distillery or anything else and then uh in 2013 is when we we started so pretty crazy 2013 so you still you're, you're still um what you're now nine is that how the nine years is that right yeah 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 uh-huh. it'll be it'll be 10 years of active distillation at the beginning of like a year from now basically like we mm-hmm. we experimented a little bit, um, but we didn't we didn't actually kind of really get cooking until January of fourteen. So, so so and and Will and Brad, um, I think Jason sort of touched on this. How, how do you guys end up connected with Old Fifty Five? Right, like what, what is the what is the path to? I mean, you guys are obviously looking to do some innovative things. I mean, both of you guys have 
you know, innovation as a part of your, your role profile, but how do you end up uh, with this unique character? Yeah, well, I mean, I think that, you know, we, um, so for all the reasons that we've kind of talked about, you know, really enjoy working with Jason on this, as you can tell, he gives raw, honest feedback. So that's always a good thing. And he can normally tell you why he gives you that feedback, but, you know, our hypothesis for kind of getting into this and some of the other work that, that we've done is that we think that, you know, the future of agriculture is that we're going to have to not only sell products to farmers, but we're going to have to work up the supply chain and sell to that next buyer up. And so uh, this project and a number of other projects that we have are kind of um, uh, are, are dabbling in that. So we think that this is a success when we can start to get that information so that we can take our customers in to a distillery, an ethanol plant, a bakery, a you know corn chip manufacturer and and say here's somebody that can grow it for you and here are the unique characteristics of the hybrids that can help meet your specific demand so um you know there's this big argument right now that could be probably be a whole nother episode john about transparency i don't really think people want to know where their food comes from but we do find that buyers are getting a lot more picky on the product they're we're getting a lot more niche products and they want to know the exact content of that of that product so that, that they can fine tune things. So when I say sell upstream, that's what we think the future is gonna hold. So that means as an input supplier, we better know what the crap we're selling to farmers. We, we better know how it influences distilleries, bakeries, uh, dry millers, wet millers. Like we better know what the differences are in that. And this is kind of getting us uh, rolling down that road. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. So, and I, I think, Brad, you said people don't want to know where their food comes from. I think they sort of want to know where their food comes from. Like they yeah, want to have a high do, level. They don't want so, to pay for it. it, correct, it, it that's that's yeah, it. I should yeah, have they, maybe they, put that. Uh, you know, people say they want to know where it comes from, but then when you, uh, you know, talk to the CPG buyer and tell them what it's going to cost to implement the traceability and the mm-hmm. supply chain, then everybody back away and they just want to buy number two yellow dent corn on the CBOT price. So right, um, well, and, and and what I was ultimately getting is that they they want to sort of like. It's really, really trendy to go to a farmer's market, right? And and buy all of your food from a farmer's market, and you think you're buying it from the person who grew it. But uh, there are these volume of people that are going out and purchasing uh, bulk <laughs> vegetables and then just reselling them at a farmer's market uh, under the guise that you're getting that. And so it gives a narrative back to the person who bought it. Like, I went to the farmer's market today, and I bought these things. And at the end of the day, you bought the same stuff that Kroger was selling. Um, you just didn't know it because you didn't pay pay that close of attention. But what, what I like what you're saying here is that um, you, your interest, um, it feels like you're trying to connect farmers and the market so you can justify some of these niche things that are going to cost a little more. If you're really targeting you know, a, a particular corn for baker utilization, it's going to cost you more to kind of get that into the market. It's going to cost the end user. But if you can you know, start from the beginning to the end, the baker understands the story right? They just got to make something good that people will then buy. And so um, it's allowing them to understand why their input costs are going up because at the end, they're going to have a much, much better uh, product, right? Yeah. And, and I would say if there's any opportunity to collapse the supply chain, sometime we might be mm-hmm. able to find margin too. So right. there, you know, our number one goal at Bex is I have to be driving net farm revenue into my customers' pockets, <laughs> So, you know, if 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 I can do that and I can build relationships with upstream processors and again, do this, this matchmaking, you know, 
that farmer might be able to charge more and we might be able to lower the cost from the end user because we're cutting out all the middle distribution, you know? Mm. So that's what, you know, that's a topic for another day, but that's kind of what we, that that's what we think about uh, and where we think that the markets, the markets going, I mean, commodity markets are good at growing commodities, right? But mm-hmm. every, a lot of people in agriculture right now are, how do I decommoditize this? What are the things that I can find value in? And, um, you know, lots of people like to buy a story. Absolutely. Uh, Nostalgia is a hell of a drug. And if you can connect (laughs) some sort of a story to what people are buying, they'll pay through the nose for it. I mean, uh, you know, there's a distinct reason why the comic book market always makes a turn because it's something from someone's childhood or baseball cards or or whatever else. You know, you've got uh, grownups that are that are buying toys from their childhood. I mean, even McDonald's did it. I don't know if you guys noticed this back this this year for Halloween. They brought back the little. Um, buckets that had the pumpkin face on it or whatever that everybody had back in the 80s they were gone within two days at every single mcdonald's because nostalgia is this drug and um it's 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 a storytelling concept and you know i've i've told my children this a number of times you know they're 11 and and eight and they're going to be asked what do you want to be when you grow up and i said all all you need to tell them is you want to be a good storyteller because it doesn't matter what job you work if you can tell a good story, you're probably going to be all right, whether it's sales, whether it's ag, whether it's um, IT. As long as you can talk well, you'll be um, just fine. So um, I've got I feel like I've got like 4000 other questions that I haven't even touched on yet. Um, hey, John, real quick. Is, but, yep. Hey, I don't mean to interrupt you, but I, I do want to uh, bring back to our, our bourbon fans real quick because you said something. Mm-hmm. Uh, the modern bourbon space for our bourbon drinkers out here that are le- listening to this is your modern farm market is our is your modern farmer's market it's the same thing so i went to my local farmer's market the other day to buy a tomato and there was one person selling friggin tomatoes in the whole there's 400 tents out there one person had produce and you're exactly right at most of them like they just went and bought that and they're reselling it here i mean it's it's an exact allegory to the the modern bourbon market and i i thought that was hilarious so i had to bring that up yeah, it, it absolutely is. And and this this is something, maybe you've done this, Jason or, or Brad, or maybe you guys have thought about this, but I've wondered this for a long, long time, is that, you know, as a distiller, you sort of have an idea of how many pounds of corn goes into a particular barrel. But have you done the calculation back, like, how many acres does it take to make a bottle or how many how many bottles does it take to make an acre or vice versa, right? Like, you're growing corn, like, you're you're trying to get the story of, like, this came from the earth. Do you have an idea of that calculation? Because I've wondered this, and I finally have somebody I can ask. I mean, it always changes, right? But I right. know that I know that of every batch of every. So, okay, a lot of people don't, and this is this is not to throw other distillers under the bus, but mm-hmm. like when you actually run a federally approved DSP, like like our DSP is. Uh, yeah, DSP IN 21014. So 21 is the Indiana code. We are the 13th, excuse me, 13. We're the 13th distillery in Indiana history ever. We're the oldest numbered active license in Indiana right now. The closest to us is MGP, I believe, in their um, 21019, I believe, I think. Don't quote me on that. But I know we're the oldest, okay? So the government requires me to know every bit of what you just asked me because I can just back into it because, once again, I'm 
we're vertically integrated. Does that make sense? So I know every penny that's into everything. So I know the bushels that came off. I know the grain that came in. I know where that grain came from. I know what it produced. I know its test weight. I know, you know, how many bushels per acres it made that year. I'm tracking it because I'm paying my dad for it. I paid $8.20 for a bushel of corn from, uh, you know, because that was my dad's price like six months ago. A month of corn cost me what, like seven months did you know what i mean but this is how this is how stupid it is on our part like this is the sis you know so i paid my dad who paid the trust that he's the trustee for you know what i mean it's just mm-hmm. the sick incestuous circle of money right it doesn't really matter what i pay but the other right. people have to worry about that does that make sense that's a yeah. big deal to them so yeah. um buffalo trace can't run this new expansion at eight dollars and 20 cents a bushel you know mm-hmm. what i mean they can't even turn it on mm-hmm. they can't afford they can't afford it they need to be about a little over half that at most, right. you know what I mean? So uh, to make a viable product and be able to afford that kind of volume, which is, that's just the market as we know it. But so to answer, like, yes, I can get you all that information. Um, you know, so, and my numbers are skewed because once again, I take such a small heart cut. Does that make the sense mm-hmm. that it's yep. it's never as much as what other people would be? But, but yeah, I can tell, I can always tell you all that information because Every 14 days, I have to cut a check to the federal government, to the treasury, and uh, they're 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 pretty they they're pretty feisty if I don't. So yeah, yeah, that that one doesn't hurt at all, does it? Whenever you have to cut that check back to them, I always laugh as I stand under surveillance, you know, um, and on my own personal property that's paid for and owned by us. That the federal government is so nice to let us make booze on our, you know, under their <laughs> uh, guidance, under a bond to make sure that I pay them their, their FET, their federal excise tax, no matter what. So it is, it's a racket. It's just, uh, it's our racket. Right. So, yeah. So, so you do a sweet corn, uh, whiskey bourbon as well. Uh, can you, like, is, is that a specific variety of sweet corn? Can you share that yeah. or, you know, go ahead. yep. So we kind of, um, so the uh, variety is, is called incredible, which is an older, I don't know. It's probably 20 years old now. Um, uh, so my understanding and somebody might even know more of this is that um a lot of uh people remember ambrosia was real popular in like 2010 you know like all the state fairs had this and it's a bicolor it doesn't uh doesn't get stuck in your teeth as much as how it was sold to me and uh the problem is it makes terrible seed corn and i need seed corn i don't really need to we're not gonna i mean we eat it it's delicious my my 12 year old says he's going to eat the whole 14 acres. So we grow 14 acres every year. And, uh, I'm like, dude, you, you will die from dysentery before you even make a dent in that thing. But, uh, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm proud of you. So he, he'll, he'll put a right. dent in some sweet corn. So we eat off the sweet corn patch, but, um, it, it's, um, this incredible seed. My understanding is that they traditionally use that to crossbreed with ambrosia because it had a little harder dent on the outside. So it made better seed corn. And, um, it's an old variety. We've never changed it. We almost changed it one year because we couldn't find the seed. And I was like, you know, basically pitched a fit to my dad. I'm like, stop messing. They oh, like fine. So we went to actually, believe it or not, uh, my buddy who works for Bex drove me to Iowa to get the two seed bags. So yeah, that was before we were doing anything. That was circa, geez, many Christmas, 2014 or 15. So yeah, it was a uh, it was a trip. But we got our we got our hundred pounds of sweet corn. And it was, inc- it was incredible and we were perfect. It was all good. So, mm-hmm. so uh, I'm going to go back to a buzzword, right? So Brad and Will, you guys talked about sustainability. 
Um, do you think there's any sustainability play here in, in a, uh, alcohol conversion conversation, or is this going to rely specifically on just your generic row crop farmer that's, you know, making for feed or whatever else? Will and I normally play this game when someone refers to us together, where we just stare at each other and see who goes off <laughs> first. Yeah. <laughs> no, so um, <clears throat> the sustainability conversation is an interesting one. You know, as Will as Will uh, uh, talked about it earlier. Um, you know, I we don't get that conversation a lot from our from our growers. Um, you know, it comes up with um, um, you know. A government folks uh and, and maybe a couple of of consumers what we normally tell people is that sustainability well first of all i believe that the farmer is the original environmentalist and that a lot of stuff going on right now in the sustainability talk that we hear from people outside of ag is that we need to do crop rotation uh cover crops and no-till and we're like yeah no crap we've been doing no-till in indiana for 30 years and my grandpa you know did uh cover crops and you know if you don't rotate your crops you're gonna have disease pressure like none other so this is not new things to agriculture um but i would say again to our conversation we think that um you know if you want to have any sustainability talk you can't do that without talking about economics you know, Jason isn't doing this for free. Farmers don't do this for, for free. So if you can drive on farm economics with it, then, you know, keep in mind, farmers are like most customers. They'll do whatever you incentivize them to do. So be careful of what the incentive is. Um, but most, uh, you know, all of the customers that, that we know already know about what the toolbox is that they have to work with. And keep in mind, geography is a big part of this. So what Jason does on his farm is not applicable to our friends in Minnesota, Arkansas, uh, Iowa, or Nebraska due to the, you know, due to the soil and what they have uh, available. So you can't paint it with a broad brush, but I believe that if you drive on farm economics, that sustainability, um, uh, how uh, I, I would say non-ag people define it can, can happen. Uh, but economics are going to drive that a conversation first. That's a it, it's a very well rehearsed answer, Brad. I think you've well, given we get that it a lot. Before. I mean, so yeah. we get it we get it a ton. Um, and you know, normally I ask people to define what your version of sustainability is because it means something. They're different. not going to be able like, to. Yeah, and, unless they work in the ag industry, they don't have a good they don't have a very good answer for it. Yeah, I um, mean, even some folks within the ag industry don't have a good under, understanding of what they're <laughs> realistically talking about. I, yeah, but I, it's I no different than walking into thing. walking into the grocery store in the meat counter and looking at a chicken. And it's labeled all natural. Like, what the crap does that mean? I've Nothing. not met an unnatural chicken. It so, means the exact same thing that small batch means in the whiskey world, right? It's not a legally <laughs> identified term. So you can just throw it on there and it's fine, right? Like if yeah, it's a so, legally defined term, you get different. Yeah, so you brought up a great comment though, John. This is about storytelling. So if I can give mm -hmm. Jason a story where he doesn't have to do that, those sorts of, I'll call them marketing gimmicks to label something that people are trying to invoke the the you know quality or, or nostalgia. If I can give him a story where, hey, here's two family owned Indiana companies that are working together to uh, tighten the supply chain to vertically integrate and put a great product on the floor, then let's talk about that. And we don't need to talk about, you know, what color of tractor planted it or, you know, what, what the, um, 
you know, was it no-till or full tillage or did he use urea or anhydrous? Like none of that matters mm -hmm. because he's putting a good product down and we've uh, collapsed his entire supply chain. So, Yeah, you don't want to talk color of tractors because, man, that can be just a polarizing conversation real, real fast, <laughs> whether it's red, green. It doesn't matter when you're making when you're making bourbon. So Right. And I just ride in them, so it's, it's all good. So. Right. Well, I mean, and, and if and if you're lucky enough, you just ride at them while you're Snapchatting your wife and drinking. Yeah, 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 yeah. Like you said earlier, we use uh, both colors. You know, I mean, people get so it's funny. Yep. It, it, there are pe there are very distinct camps, um, and then there's the people in the middle, sort of like you that don't care. But you know, there there are a ton of of, of marketing buzzwords. It's, you know, there's there's a major distiller here in Kentucky that, um, you know, does a weeded whiskey or weeded bourbon, and they talk about how it's gluten free and. I'm not really sure how gluten could ever survive the distillation process. So I'm not really sure that that's a well, unique John, thing. to let you know, the, um, oh, who is it? Uh, oh, gosh. Um, come on. Who, um, whoever sees, uh, not the EPA, but uh, the FDA just announced last year that all distilled spirits are gluten free. So I took this is my answer to everything. So they finally actually came out and told us what we all knew. Yep. You know, because it's friggin' science. You know, what I mean, but whatever. Yeah, yeah. That doesn't have to do. Well, so, but so, the thing is, uh, there's, there's some people that didn't know that. That's the that's the point of the statement. Absolutely. Some people that didn't know it, but now it's a marketing term. Yeah, absolutely. And and we, uh, you know, uh, but and and there's some there's some gray there, right? Because when you glycol fireball and you add different things to whiskeys in the products Correct. there are glutens in there you know what i mean so you you do have to be careful about what's going on so um i always speak to ours like we but our mainstay product is a weeded bourbon i'm like nothing i make has any gluten in it period you right. know what i mean well, I mean, so. it, as a bourbon it can't right so you, you mentioned fireball but fireball can because it's a whiskey that can have things added to it a bourbon yep, can't exactly. yeah. so, so, well, so bourbon's always going to be that you know Exactly. And, and, and I can't speak for like people's cleanliness and like, um, mm -hmm. you know, how things are in, you know, if you just, I mean, grain dust is a thing, you know, I mean, we handle live right. grains, you know, I mean, like there's, there's, there's some cross contamination there and everything's, but man, like if you're, I mean, it's, the conversation is funny about of how many people actually don't actually make anything. So they have no idea. And then mm -hmm. it goes exactly back to to the conversation on sustainability of like i don't know I, I brad i love what you said you know like farmers are the original like sustainability like uh, i mean you have a piece of ground and if you don't take care of it and fertilize it and put inputs in nothing comes out of it you know what i mean you're and, not gonna make I mean, any money you're gonna i go mean broke. much like much like jason's situation you know i'm sitting on, on our family farm that's seventh generation what's not sustainable mm -hmm. about that Amen. Jason sitting on his family farm. What's not sustainable about that? Mm -hmm. Now, I would, I would, I would say through generations they've used the technology that was available to them mm -hmm. at at the time. But there's there's nothing that's not that's unsustainable about this business. Yeah, I mean, if you live long enough, you'll you'll understand why the thing you did today was not sustainable, right? Um, mm -hmm. But that's a matter of if you live long enough. We can only do what we know today, and, and you're exactly right. You know, the the family farm is the epitome of sustainability but i think people's concerns over over sustainability are largely pointed at um corporate farming you know large farming operations that have um significant overhead but they also don't know what the hell they're talking about when they ask about sustainability or what they're can, actually can i poke the bear about. real quick Go the same it. people that ask the questions about sustainability 
are the doctors and lawyers that live in Chicago that are now cash running their farms to mega farmers that are drilling, you know, and mining the hell out of those said farms and, and not mm-hmm. you know, sustainability isn't even in the question. So it's, it's just ignorance from top to bottom and it's, it's what, it's what it's going to be. So. Absolutely. And we're, we're punching right at an hour. And like I said, I know uh, Will and Brad had a tour of um, all of the flyover states today. You know, like we're, we're all in a somewhat of a flyover state in a lot of people's consideration. But um, so you guys are probably nearing the end of your um, energy levels. Um, is there anything that we didn't talk about? You know, we didn't we didn't even talk about wheat. Are you guys going to do some wheat trials for some weeded bourbon maybe for some folks or are we staying with corn for now? We do weeded bourbon. So, um, uh, the, the wheat comes from, uh, shoot pioneer, I think is where we get that from. And we grow it every two years. It's overwintered. So, mm-hmm. um, but that is, um, our mainstay product is a weeded bourbon. So the best thing about owning a distillery with your dad who doesn't drink is you get to make everything you like. And I like weeded bourbon. So, right. you know, that, that's what so it sounds is. like Bex, you guys, we need to work on some wheat here. Do we, we need to run a wheat trial, right? Yeah, we um, so at uh, Beck's we sell all those products, but we run our own corn breeding program. Yeah. So, um, you know, for for us to get in that business, Jason's not going to like the price tag associated with that. So we'll let <laughs> we'll let someone else deal with that. He probably doesn't use very much wheat either. No, real. I mean, really, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's twenty percent of mash bills. So, I mean, it's more than you think it is. You know, what I mean, but once again, eighty mm-hmm. twenty is our mash bill on our weeded bourbon, and like. Yeah, you go through a lot of, you know, it's always surprising to me, like, you know, how much we use. You know, so I have uh, 1,200 bushel tanks outside the distillery, and I'll go through one of those with uh, corn and, gosh, like a, a tiny bit over a month. You know, I mean, it's gone. And the the wheat one, I'm always kind of like, it's got to be getting low, and it never goes low fast enough. You know, I mean, I'm like, oh, that's it's going to last forever. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. It just doesn't seem to chew. I mean, I mean, if you're on eighty twenty, that would make sense. You know, you're gonna, you're going to burn through it pretty pretty damn fast. You're going to be, um, you're going to need what five five rounds of the corn before you get to one round of the or yep. wheat. I think that's how the math works. I don't know. It's too late to math. It's way too late <laughs> to math. Um, so if we don't have anything else, like I said, I, I'll let you guys go. I appreciate you hopping on. I mean, if y'all got something else you want to talk about, I'm here for as long as you want to talk, but. I also want to be cognizant of everybody else's time. Hey, John, thanks for having us. Uh, Brad, Will, thank you guys for coming on here with me. I'm not making me talk the whole time. I appreciate it. No, sounds <laughs> great. Thanks for the opportunity, guys. Yeah, absolutely. We'll be, we'll be looking forward to the to the Bex Corn at uh, the National Farm Machinery Show <laughs> in four years, which will be 2027. I'll be there. Um, I'll make sure that I go by the Bex and Jason's obviously going to give you a barrel to be able to hand out there. Cause it's just free advertising for him too. Right. Well, definitely have popcorn available for you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It might, it might look a little off if you're handing out whiskey, um, in, in a family farm show, it might be a little off. Uh, we're getting there. You know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Thanks again, guys. I appreciate it. Thank you guys so much. Thanks. Thanks for tuning in for this offering of the Embellished Podcast. Uh, if you enjoyed this, please leave me a review on whatever platform that you have to be consuming this on. Uh, leave a comment if possible. 
Um, hit me up on social media at Twitter or Instagram using embellish pod and give me a follow. Um, you can keep up with what's going on here. I can be found at www.embellishpod.com with all of my links, accounts, contact details, and more. Um, we should be entering into that particular phase where we're going to have less frequent posting. So be prepared to not hear from me again for a few weeks, but I appreciate everybody who's here. Um, I'm back again in a few weeks with another new offering for you. So until then, cheers and thanks for hanging out.